The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 11th chapter. Now Jesus was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke and the people marveled. But some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. This is the gospel of the Lord. A week ago, last Sunday, the sermon was about the topic of sanctification, how Christians actively become holier in our lives. We've been declared righteous by God. That's Christianity, that we are not righteous of ourselves, but God looks at us through his son and says, you are righteous, you are holy, and I am saving you by my grace. And so that's the basis of Christianity, and the natural question after that is, well, now what? How do I live? What do I do? And the answer is sanctification. That is, we try and walk in our lives as feebly and frailly as we can according to God's will revealed in his word. Well, today I want to continue on that topic, but with a specific application, a specific application of how in what way and what avenue do we walk holy, do we walk according to God's word and will? And for that, we're going to look at the second lesson today, the epistle from Ephesians 5. Here again the words of Paul. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now let's be honest, okay? That's an epistle we would rather step over. We being just Christians in general, and certainly we being preachers. I get to pick what I talk about every Sunday, which reading, which part of the reading, what I say, the order I say it, the illustrations. I can talk about pretty much anything. And it's very easy to take passages like this from books like this and say, I will treat that another time because it's a heavy topic. It's an uncomfortable topic, isn't it? Sexual immorality. It's not polite to just go out to dinner with somebody and to start, as they say, talking about sex. And also, it's an uncomfortable topic because, well, some of us feel a little bit of 
hypocrisy if we talk about it, especially to our children or grandchildren. We know our past, other people around us know our past, and in some cases our children know our past. And so we don't want to play the hypocrite by telling them do's and don'ts that perhaps we didn't follow as well as we should have when we were younger. And of course, it's also this reason we want to step over it. If we take it seriously, it's going to just necessitate a lot of awkwardness. It's so easy to avoid those things and we want to. So yes, we do want to step over this topic whenever we can. And so we do. The easy way that Lutherans do it, and this is just as tempting for me as a preacher, is, well, of course, all sins are sins. Everything. If you lie about somebody, that's a sin too. If you steal a stick of gum, that's wrong. It's a sin in God's eyes. And so we say, every sin is a sin, so this one is no big deal. It's no worse than the rest. Bada bing, I can say that and just kind of move on to, I don't know, talking about creationism or something like that. Or we just have sort of this attitude sometimes, right? Maybe a little bit. Don't smile or laugh. Don't betray yourself. Well, do whatever you want. Just don't let pastor find out. But is that how God's word treats sexual sins? Is that what the word of our Lord to us says? No. Not even close. God's word is very clear in this regard. Sex is a gift of God. A blessing that he built into creation for his creatures to enjoy. But here's the thing. Only where God placed it is it a gift. And only where God placed it does he want us to have its enjoyment. We have the institution of marriage where he placed it. And we know that well from our catechism classes and any time we've read the Bible. You're no longer going to be two fleshes, but one flesh. Together, a husband will cling to his wife. And we hear, of course, in Hebrews, the marriage bed, let it remain undefiled. Yes, it's so very clear. Sex is a positive thing. It's a good thing, and Christians are not actually prudes to where we don't like it. No, that is not the case at all. It's given by God, along with the possibility to procreate children, and so we should use this gift of God according to our Lord's will. And when we stay in that lane, for what he has said, this is what it is, this is what it is for, God will bless us. He does bless us. Not just with children, but with happy, strong relationships, communities, families, and churches. It's when we depart from his will for the gift of sex that we run into some trouble. The fuller context of the Hebrews 13 passage I just touched on is this. Let marriage be held in honor among all. Let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Paul says in Galatians 5, in the list of long list of talking about works of the flesh, talking about sexual immorality and impurity, he says at the end of this, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. He also has to address it with the Colossians. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, he closes, the wrath of God is coming. And then Revelation, turn to the last page of your Bible when you go home and read this. Where it's all wrapping up, 
John has this to say. Outside the heavenly city are the dogs and sorcerers and the sexual immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. This is just a very small sample of verses like this. It did not take me long to put this together and I could have kept going and we could keep going. The Bible has a lot to say about sexual immorality, but you get the point. I hope you do. It's there. It's there in black and white. But it's more than just an emphasis. It's an emphasis, but listen to each one of those things. It has attached to it a very clear warning about eternal consequences. Now, some people like to, again, step over these verses to abrogate them, as it were. The most common thing is, well, he who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. Or my favorite one, which is probably the most abused verse in the Bible, judge not, lest you be judged. Which is a way of saying, I'm rubber, you're glue, whatever bounces off me, sticks to you. Well, sure, these verses, well, not the rubber and glue thing, but those verses are in the Bible. They are there. But they're not about this or stepping over a sin. They're just about hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. Okay? Don't be a teacher of these things, whether you're a preacher or a layman teaching somebody else and tell people to do one thing and then go and do the other. These are about hypocrisy, not an excuse to ignore sin. Here are the qualifications again. Whoever does these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Judge, God will judge. The wrath of God is coming on all who do these things, and he who does them will be in Revelation outside of the heavenly city. I mean, these are the inspired words of our God to his church, to us. What else do we think they mean but their plain sense and meaning? And if anything, if it's anything we've ever said or believed but their plain sense, and if we've ever told anybody that, in our settings in life that we could tell someone, we should repent and say, I'm sorry, Lord, that I did that. Please forgive me. You see, Christianity, it's not about this list of do's and don'ts and this hot topic which so many people think is the only thing we ever talk about or focus on. It's not about that. It is about God reconciling himself to us in Jesus Christ. It is about being declared just and righteous forever on account of an innocent party who suffered in our place. It's about forgiveness. That is the chief thing we're gathered here for. It's why we start with it every Sunday when we gather. It's why we have often a meal which says, take and eat, this is for your forgiveness, and it is freely given. The reconciliation that God has accomplished, we grasp hold of through faith, believing, yes, this is true, and through that faith, it becomes ours. And also through the means of word and sacrament. But if in the face of that, inside of our active lives as believing, trusting Christians, we ignore his word about this and other things. If we willfully snub his word about sexual immorality and all the rest, if we abuse the sacraments, wanting them but not wanting to let go of our sin that we cling to, as we talked about on Wednesday, the question is there, do we really believe then? Do we actually have faith in Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins that he came to bring us? Now, of course, the forgiveness of sins is not dependent upon our ability to overcome sin completely and finally reach the point where 
I'm not a sinner anymore. I just don't do anything bad. Of course, that's impossible. But the forgiveness of sins is not an excuse to just sin all the more or to shoot from the hip with morality and ethics and how we live our lives. Because, hey, well, God's just going to forgive it anyway, so I can do what I want today, go to church tomorrow, and forget the whole thing happened until rinse and repeat. That's not grace. That's permission. That's sanction. And it's not what Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, came in this world to give us. So if we would avoid, and if we would have the people that we love in our lives avoid the wrath that the Word of God so clearly promises for these things, let us put them away. And let us do the best to teach our brothers, our sisters, our sons, our daughters, our grandsons, our grandchildren, our great grandsons, our great-granddaughters, all of them, to put these things away too. We have been redeemed through Jesus Christ. And if you have any question of that after this sermon or any other sermon, circle the opening hymn, the first one we sang, go back and read that. That talks so clearly and beautifully about that redemption. Yes, we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, but let's walk in the light of his truth all of the days until he takes us out of this world where sin so fervently clings to us. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. The fellowship that we enjoy, have now, and will have forever with God, our maker, is far greater, far more glorious, and far, yes, far more fulfilling than the passions of the flesh, which promise one thing in one moment and never, ever deliver it forever. So let us show ourselves as Christians to be Christians by living sanctified lives, having been forgiven of our sins yesterday, to walk in newness of life. Let us show ourselves to believe it, letting our lives reflect the hope that we truly have in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.